Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Apple. We got a great show coming for you this week. We got the takeaways. We got a special guest coming in, a guy who's played in the league who's going to tell us about player responsibility. Give us some great stories on that end in a year where it will be paramount. And as always, we get to all of your questions in the six pack. Let's go. Welcome in. It's the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer. We had a great show coming for you this week. Like I said, we got some awesome storytelling coming with our special guest, and we're going to get to your questions in a six pack. We don't have Gresh this week. Timing didn't work. I'm on the road, so we'll get Gresh back in here soon. And we are going to get to the takeaways. Just give you guys a little bit of an update of where I'm at right now. I'm actually in my hotel room in Morristown, New Jersey, and it is strange. Um, there were very few cars in the parking lot here at the hotel. Um, it is a different environment out there on the road. I drove through Connecticut, New York, New Jersey with minimal traffic issues at 3, 4, 5 o'clock. Um, and I'm here. I'm on the road. I went to my first training camp, was with the Patriots this morning, going to be with the Jets and Giants the next two days, Eagles and Ravens after that, and then probably on down to Florida to see a couple of quarterbacks. But it's definitely a different year. The good news is when I actually got out to practice, it looked like football practice. I mean, outside of looking out there and seeing the coaches wearing masks, you just see the sort of little baby blue boxes over their mouths. Other than that, I mean, it was a pretty normal football practice in New England today. We'll see how it goes the next few places I go. And I want to give you guys a taste of what's going on out there. And that's sort of why I'm going out. Um, the access is different. Usually this is a great time of year for me to go and see people. It's going to be tougher, um, no question, in 2020 for the best reasons possible um, because we're all trying to take care of one another. And so not going to be able to see as many people, which is why I'm not going to as many camps as I normally do. Uh, but I do want to give you guys a little flavor, which is why I'm out on the road now. Let's jump into the takeaways. And my first takeaway is it does connect to, to everything that's going on here. Um, in 2020, in this most different summer for the NFL, two more players came off the COVID-19 list on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. That means the NFL's total number 
is now down to 10. Want to do the math? I'm not great at math, but I know that that is just under one for every three teams. That is outstanding news for the NFL. And I'll tell you what I've learned. What I've learned here is the importance of daily testing and how when the players asked for it, what a logical ask that was is what it does prevents guys who are getting it from coming in the building. And I think I may have overlooked the importance of that, but I think that's a huge reason why they've been able to control it the way that they've been able to control it over the first few weeks of camp and why I think they've got a great chance now to have a successful season. I'm more optimistic now than I was before. I still think that to some degree you are sort of a prisoner to what's happening um, across the country and the NFL can't control that. Um, circumstances are going to change over the next few weeks. No question about it. The days for NFL coaches, for NFL players are going to get a little shorter when they get out of training camp. Um, you're going to be spending more time at home. Your kids might go back to school if you're a coach or you're an older player. Um, you know, your wife might go back to work. There are going to be different circumstances that everybody's going to be dealing with that are going to be introduced into the environment. So much of this is going to be about responsibility, of course, on the part of the individual players, the individual coaches. And again, we're going to get into that with our with our guest. Uh, but I mean, to this point, I mean, given the circumstances so far, so good. That number being down to 10 is outstanding news for the national football league. Takeaway number two this is going to be an interesting year for the 49ers. And it's always interesting to see where, you know, teams coming off of a super bowl year, sometimes the injury luck swings the other way. And it's not to say the Niners didn't deal with injuries in 2019, uh, but, you know, you look at it now, they've lost Jalen Hurd to a torn ACL. They, of course, didn't have him last year. He had the back issue last year. So the 2019 draft pick still hasn't played a game for the organization. And then Debo Samuel, of course, broke his foot. They hope to have him back for the opener. But you know how foot problems can affect skill position players. And that's an issue. So now it means they're going to be relying a little bit more on Brandon Ayuk at that at, at those positions. They'd obviously like for Dante Pettis to come along a little bit um, at those spots. You know, they took a flyer on Tavon Austin. Um, you know, the good news is they've got a happy and newly wealthy George Kittle in camp. Uh, but certainly, I think you know you start to see where these issues sometimes your injury luck is good. Um, you know, in one year and you perform like the 49ers performed last year, and then you come back and it's not as good the next year. And so um, the Niners, obviously, the challenge changes a little bit for them this year. That said, if there was one spot where I think the Niners could do, are, are able to kind of manage it with a little bit less, it might be that receiver spot. Again, they've got a great tight end. They've got a very good running game, and they've got a defense that can win games for them. And they've got a head coach who is as good at coaching up and developing receivers as anyone in the league in Kyle Shanahan. And so I think the Niners are going to be okay, but I think it's just sort of one of those signs of how things can be different from one year to the next for a team that's coming off a really special year like the Niners are. Takeaway number three, and I thought this was really interesting. My buddy Tom Pelissero reported um, on Tuesday that Dalvin Cook's being held out of team drills. As he negotiates a new contract, we also saw news out of Arizona that DeAndre Hopkins might be kind of holding back a little bit um, as he tries to, 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 to get a revision on his existing contract. And it's interesting to me because the holdout rules have become so strong now. And I really kind of like see this as this is sort of the way that players are going to have to handle it now. And creatively, it'll be interesting to see how this can maybe create disputes between players and teams where players don't feel like they can hold out because of the rules. And now is the answer for them to become a little bit more of an issue inside the building. If they're not happy with their contract, um, it'll be again, it's just an interesting kind of thing to watch. I, I think the Cardinals and Vikings are handling this the right way. It hasn't been an issue as far as we know in Arizona to this point, although you would like to have a guy who's new to the team working as much as he possibly could with working as much as he possibly could with your, with your quarterback, Kyler Murray, I really like what the Vikings have done because the Vikings are sort of acknowledging how important this is for Dalvin Cook's future and you know how obviously you know this sort of contract negotiation is front of mind for the player. And so you don't want to put him out there where he's thinking about different things or he doesn't feel like he can protect himself properly. And so I think it is at least a nice olive branch that the, that the Vikings have been willing to hold him out of team drills. Question number or uh, takeaway number four, um, 
people made a big deal out of the fact that Joe Judge um, is making guys run laps. Um, and I mean, like it, it, in 2020, you don't see it all that much. It, again, I think so much of how this winds up being digested a year from now, two years from now, three years from now is going to be based on the success the judge has, of course, with wins and losses, but also in developing individual players. And to me, so much of this comes down to, can you show the guys how to get better? And can you win games? If you can't do those two things, you're going to wind up looking bad no matter what you do. And something like this is probably going to make you look a little extra bad. Like, you know, Josh McDaniels in Denver, obviously, and I think Josh is going to be great when he gets another chance. But I, I because they didn't have the success there, people kind of looked back and pointed at things that happened and act, okay, well, that was the cause of it. That was the cause of it. And, and maybe that had something to do with it. But if Josh McDaniels had, you know, if they had done a better job building on the start that they had there, I believe they were 6-0 and in his first year, and they hadn't collapsed, I, I, you know, people would be looking back at those things and saying, well, he instilled discipline and he instilled toughness and that program is old school. When you don't win, it makes you look like, you know, like a high school coach. And so I think for Joe Judge, you know, the key is going to be what happens next and his ability to take the team to uh, take the team to back to where it's been in the past, of course, but also to develop individual players because ultimately what do players care about? They care about their earning power and how do you build earning power? You build earning power by becoming a better player. And so I just think a lot of times these sorts of stories look like, is he going to be able to show those guys how to win? Is he going to be able to show those guys individually how to get better? If he does, you know, we'll be looking back on this and saying, well, you know, he, he did a great job instilling discipline and that place needed it. And they needed to get back to some of the foundation that was laid by Tom Coughlin all the way back in 2004. Um, if they don't win, then people are going to point and laugh and say like, oh yeah, that's just another guy trying to imitate what Belichick did. I don't think running laps is a big deal um, to be clear. And I don't think it's going to determine whether or not Joe judges a success in New York or not. Finally, takeaway number five, a couple more college players have opted out over the last couple of days. Um, to me, Jalen Mayfield, the Michigan tackle, who did a really, really nice job on Chase Young um, in November. I think a better job than anybody expected him to. He hops, opts out. He's a potential first-round pick. You can see it. To me, there were two other names on Monday that were sort of interesting. Uh, Kerry Vincent, who's a nickel, a very athletic nickel back at, at LSU, he opted out. He was going to play a big role in their secondary at LSU with Grant Delpit. And Christian Fulton, who went to the Browns and Titans in the draft, um, he was going to play a big role and, and have a chance to really step forward. He opts out. My understanding, he's probably third, fourth round pick. And then Kennedy Brooks, the running back from Oklahoma, who's probably a day three pick, um, you know, as a running back. And so to me, like seeing these two guys is interesting just because if there is some semblance of a college season, how does this affect guys who do play? Um, in, in 2020 and how many guys pass these guys? I think what's to, to me, the, the reason why I'm singling that, those guys out is because you do have guys at the top who I don't think would be affected by much. And Jalen Mayfield is borderline in that category. Micah Parsons is certainly in that category. Greg Russo is in that category where there's just the, the freakish talent is so clear and it's there and somebody's going to take a swing at the guy, Right where when you're talking about guys who, you know, second round and below, a lot of times like the difference between a second rounder and a fifth rounder, the difference between a third rounder and a sixth rounder is like razor thin, right? It's razor thin. And so not playing a season could really affect these guys. Now I'm not criticizing their decision because these are deeply personal decisions for each of these guys. Um, and a lot of these guys have family reasons for doing it and everything else. It's just going to be interesting to see the side-by-side -side when you look at players that are at those positions and how many guys pass those guys, if there are any guys that hurt themselves by playing this fall. Just to me, like that's sort of one of the subplots to the 2021 draft is how the guys who opt out wind up stacking up against guys who play a season, again, if there's a college season. And again, that's something that we're going to be able to monitor. We're not going to have answers on that in two weeks. That's something we're going to be monitoring over the next six, seven, eight months. So this is the five takeaways for this week. We'll get to our special guest right after this.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening mtv's official challenge podcast is back for another season and guess what so are we just in case you forgot i'm tori deal i'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion and i'm anisa ferrer and i've been gracing your screens for the last two decades i am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star and speaking of all-stars all-stars four is finally here i'm gonna be honest i literally thought this day was never going to come well the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players redemption seekers and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to bring back one of our favorite guests, and uh, I'm not just bringing him in because of the timing and everything going on with the Big Ten. Um, he's going to give us great insight on where on where the NFL is now, um, what it means, um, the way that the NFL has been running training camp, and kind of his impressions from early on. And so we're bringing back into the show former first-round pick, former Cowboy, former Ohio State Buckeye, and now um, you can see him on both ESPN, on Get Up, and – and listen to him if you're in Columbus on 97.1 97. The Fan. Uh, welcome back, Bobby Carpenter. 
Albert, thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure as always. All right, so let's start here. I, I just want to know what the mood's like there, because I uh, and we both know you you were a player. I I was a student. We know how important uh, Buckeye football is there. So what what's the last few days been like for you as a sports radio host and a former player there? Well, you kind of go through Albert all the all the um, little steps of grief. You know, you, you first it's anger. You've got some resentment in there. I think despair set in. The one thing was like I don't think it's really ever gotten to the point of acceptance because people are still fighting. And the fact that you see what's happening with the SEC, the Big Twelve, the ACC, and you know people up here are like, well, you're telling me it's not safe, but the doctors at Duke are saying that it's good enough for them to go, and so they're trying to rationalize all this. And that's why you see this big groundswell and people are pushing back, trying to do everything they can to try to save a season. Now, I don't know if it could be salvaged at this point. I'd say it's a small chance, but I think that they're probably hoping to get some substantive change in how things operate. And especially for the players, I think a lot of the players are looking at it and saying, hey, how can we try to make sure that if this ever does happen again, especially the young guys, like we want to make sure we have a place at the table to decide our own futures. What do you think, like – can you imagine? Can he, I mean, because you probably be qualified. I mean, you're obviously qualified to put yourself in in these guys' shoes. Like, what do you think's running through a, a player at Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan? What, what's running through the player's head right now? Um, I think a lot of them are really confused. Number one, because the thing that they, the coaches impressed upon them, and I've talked to some of these guys, is the fact that they told them if you did all this stuff during the spring and during the summer, and we did this and we did that, and we kept our numbers low, and everybody's numbers spiked a little bit early on. But if you look across college football, for the most part, they've all subsided. And so I think these guys are really just kind of distraught because like, we did everything you asked and you're not even giving us a chance for it to fail and to not work. That's the biggest thing that's frustrating because they don't understand. Like you told us if we did this and we did it right and everything stayed okay, we'd have a chance. So they're kind of, there's a lot of despair and there's some confusion trying to figure out, well, do I, do I, if you're a graduating senior, you know, am I, I going to play this, this spring? You know, how does that work? How many guys are going to be left on my team as opposed to probably going to the NFL? And is spring even a realistic possibility? Because I don't, I still don't believe that that's even going to happen. Do you like, so do you like, you obviously still, you know, very connected to the program. You live there. I know you're over there a bunch. Were the kids really responsible over the last two months in the way they handled this? Cause they got back to campus. What? Like right around like June 8th, right? Like June 8th, June 9th, somewhere in there. Like, just your own observations. How responsible were the kids with this? Incredibly responsible. Um, if you saw when they came in, they were working out. Obviously, they set it up so like each position group worked out at their own time, and they would rotate guys from like the weight room to the indoor to run, and then they like some outdoor stations, and they'd sanitize everything. Like you'd work out for forty-five minutes at each one. They'd clean it all up, and so that was on the facility and on premise. And then when they went there, like. None of the guys were going out and doing anything. And I don't know if you saw the speech by Jonathan Cooper, like the impassioned mm -hmm. speech. Like he was a he's a senior. I've known John Jonathan since he was a sophomore at Gehanna Lincoln. My dad coaches in his league. He's an incredibly un, unbelievable human being, great family, hard worker. And you saw him lay into all his teammates saying, like, don't ruin this for everybody. And that's really the way the guys took it. They stayed in. They they abstained from going to all those pool parties, Albert, that you went to growing up and going to Ohio State and having all the fun with the co-eds. Like, they gave up this a whole summer of college to try to play football. And people look at that. I want everyone to think, like, what some of your college summers were like and how much fun yeah. you had. And they didn't get to do any of that. Do you, like, so what do you think happens? Like, if, if, I, if I had to ask you, what do you think is the most likely thing that happens with the Big Ten schools? I think there's going to be a decent amount of pushback. Unless Kevin Warren is probably removed, which I don't see happening, I, I don't see them playing. And I think it's going to really, really start to hit close to home, Albert, when the ACC, SEC, and Big 12, when they kick off, if they actually have games, there's going to be people that are very upset. And I've told people I've been on a lot of different radio stations. I've, heck, I've probably done five hours of radio outside of my own show <laughs> in the last like five or six days. And I told them, like, you're upset? Write your congressman, write your senator, write your governor, write your state reps, get a hold of them because they're the ones that ultimately shape the board and the governance of how these universities operate. And if you don't like it and the presidents they're picking and the decisions they're making, take it up with them. And those people are survivors by nature. And if they feel like, and the one thing, Albert, like, you know, being in Boston, you understand this, like nothing unifies probably Boston 
like the Patriots, like the Red Sox, like the Celtics. Nothing unifies Ohio, whether you're conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, black, white, any of these things don't matter. On game day, you're a Buckeye, man. And if that's being (laughs) taken away, that's something that everybody can get behind. And so I guarantee you, if you apply enough political pressure, there may be some structural change in how things operate. All right. So like, for those who don't know, Bobby... Big promotion, I, I would say. I think I can call it that. Over to the morning drive recently, there on ninety-seven point one, the fan in Columbus. I'm wondering if you guys have discussed how you're going to fill all that time. Like, I'm just interested in that because it, it it's such a big part of what you guys talk about there. Have you guys talked about like what are we going to do now that maybe <laughs> there might not like like the possibility is there that there might not be Ohio State football like actual games at least to talk about for the next twelve months. Well, you know, right now we're, we're I'm in the point, you know, I think we're going to have Urban Meyer on here. Um, I'm getting in contact with Randy Wade, Sean Wade's dad, who is going to Chicago. That's I think right. we're going to have him on uh, to talk a little bit about his experience. You know, once this subsides, the one thing about uh, Columbus, it's a huge college football town. And so we might do a little thing like everybody draft your own team. What, what team do you <laughs> want to cheer for from the SEC, ACC, Big 12, and talk about that stuff a little bit. And NFL will come in, but it'll probably still be a lot about the hypotheticals of what this team could be because there's no questioning the fact that this team had top five talent in college football. And you could argue it's maybe the most talented roster on, in, in college football. And potentially, I talked to Coach Brian Hartline, who I, you know, I played with and you know, you covered. He's like, this is the most talented offensive team I've ever seen like with what they have. And so it's almost just reliving what could have been the hypotheticals. It, it's like the guy sitting on the bar stool. I were talking about his knee getting blown out or he was going D one. That'll be the 2020 oh, yeah. Buckeye season. Well, that's what sucks about it is that it's like, and that's what like, it's just the reality of college football is that they're like, you don't just run it back the next year, you know, like, yeah. like a bunch of these kids are going to be gone. And it's just, that's the thing is like this, this would wind up being such a huge, what if, Especially like, and I don't know, I mean, I guess you throw the word generational around, but I have heard that talking to people I know there that are inside that building where this could have had a chance to be a generational type of team. Well, when you look at how last season ended, you know, a misread away against Clemson, you're having the lead and having some calls go against you. Everybody was geared up and the guy who I really feel for is pushing this is Justin Fields. Like he doesn't need this year to get drafted in the top five. But I do think it would be very beneficial for him for his development of getting mm-hmm. another season under Ryan Day, seeing things for a second time, going through the progressions, dealing with new receivers. So that, I think, is invaluable. And that's one thing that people talk about. Like, oh, you know, these guys are fine. You know, they just go on the next level. There's a developmental process to this where playing more football for you is a good thing experience-wise. You know, it's so interesting you say that, too. And we're going to start to transition now to the NFL conversation here because I think about him – I think about Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Trevor Lawrence has played two years, so I think he's probably a little bit of a different case. But, you know, for Lance and Fields, they've only played for one full year, you know. And I just feel like a quarterback, it's almost like because those guys' careers are longer in the NFL, it's almost more about the second contract, right? So you want to hit the ground running when you get to the NFL. So the development is important. And I also look at it, and it's like the injury risk is its not as bad as it is in other positions. I mean, Tua suffered about as bad an injury as you could possibly have, right? Like, I, like, I mean, short of being paralyzed in the field or something like that, like that was a really, really bad injury. And he still went fifth overall, <laughs> you know, like, like Sam Bradford went first overall after separating his shoulder his last year at Oklahoma. So I think like for the quarterbacks, it's like, I, again, for guys like Lance and guys like Fields, I think it's tough because development, the development's going to count as far as like being able to hit the ground running and succeed which gets you to that massive second contract, which again, at quarterback, the numbers are astronomical. And the injury risk, actually, if you like break it down and you look at it, it's not as bad as it is at other positions where, you know, like, like suffering some sort of, some, suffering a serious injury probably doesn't impact your draft stock quite as much as it does at other spots. No, and you even look at Drew Brees and what he came back with with, with his shoulder, like modern medicine now, like everybody has a high degree in faith. That it'll turn that you'll be able to get into a place where you can play, and like you said, Tua's was almost as bad as you could possibly have, and he was still able to get it done. And so, when you look at that and understand it, it's really more the development. I go back to Bill Parcells' rules about drafting quarterbacks, and one of the things is like he wanted guys that were two or three year starters and captains of their team. Like you're kind of eliminating guys now 
due to no fault of their own because he knew that you wanted to have guys who had experience, guys who had been in situations, who had led teams in critical moments, and then you know what? Had an offseason to learn and get better, and then also had teams game plan for you a little more specifically when you're the man. And so, yeah, it's changed a lot. The The downside of playing for those guys isn't that great because regardless, you tear ACL, like, I will draft him. We'll sit him for a year. No big deal. Like, they'll come back as good as new. And so it's just tough to see those guys that are going to be stunted a little bit. Carson Wentz is another one, by the way. Missed almost his entire senior year at North Dakota State. Still went second overall. And like to kind of spin this NFL-wise too, how tough do you think – Like when you look at, at, at Jalen Mayfield from Michigan's the most recent one to opt out, how tough a choice – how tough a decision do you think a lot of these kids have now too? Like knowing – like, all right, like, I like, like, I'm not going to have, you know, I'm not going to have that year of tape. I'm not going to have that year of development. Like, but like on the other end of it, I'm mitigating the risk and I'm giving myself a chance to, to train for the combine and get ready to give the NFL my best. Uh, like, how difficult a decision do you think that would be? If, if, let me put yourself in that spot because you were a first round pick. How tough a call do you think that is for some of these guys? It's incredibly tough, Albert, because you're trying to figure out, like, sometimes there's really no good answer. It's the least bad answer is what the solution may be. And I don't know, is playing in the spring viable and then trying to do all that? Because if you look at this, and you know a lot of scouts and front office guys, like they value tape now a lot more than they value stuff at the combine because you see guys that can run fast and jump high that aren't good football players. That just kind of confirms what you already know. And so you, some guys need that year of tape. I would have, I would have probably been – in my mind, I think I would have been able to run – to get into the third round, but reality was probably a fourth round pick, maybe fifth after my junior year. And so that's how dramatically it can change if you put together one good season of film to be able to be evaluated for the next level. And there's like the Joe Burrows too, where it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like, they, and I've said this a few times, but Joe Burrows probably like a fifth round pick. Um, you know, like Baker Mayfield, probably a third or a fourth round pick. Kyler Murray's a baseball player. If he yeah. loses last year, <laughs> you know, like, so it's like, there's so much, the impact of this could, could be like very, very wide ranging. Uh, okay, all right. So like just at the NFL level uh, today, and I, I think this is an incredibly, incredibly positive development for, for the NFL, for football in general. Today, two more guys came off the COVID list league wide. No more went on. That means with 2,600 players in camp, they're down to 10 guys on the COVID list league-wide, that's a little more than one for every three teams. Um, your early impressions in the way all this has been handled, Bobby. It's not surprising. When you look at the NFL and how they do business, how they operate, Albert, you know that they have that thing running like a Swiss clock. They've done everything they can to put themselves in the best situation with the players on, on board as well. Like They talk to them, how can we do this safely? And Remember, you know, the article that came out with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. like talking about, I don't know how we're going to do this safely. And then all of a sudden, you know, they realized it was written earlier and he actually got to the facility and realized like, listen, they're doing a good job with it. And so the players, I think, are doing a good job once they start getting around during the season and do they want to go out? Do they want to do things like it's going to be tough? And this is where the leadership aspect is going to come in from teams and coaches that have a firm control of their roster and what type of guys they draft drafted and have assimilated onto that team because once you get rolling into the season guys you know they may want to get lax they may want to start doing things and it's going to be the younger guys and so did you draft high quality guys have you brought in high quality leaders and are you firm enough to realize to make to find guys and to, to put them in situations where hey if you're out and you're doing these things we're going to hold you accountable and so there's a premium now that I think is going to be placed on character and accountability and teams that have done a really good job with that that have really put a high emphasis on that, they're going to have a better situation this year, I think, than teams that haven't. So, all right, like, how much do you trust the 23-year-old who gets a call from the girl on, like, a Thursday night, come meet me at the bar? <laughs> like, and, and I think we all know we've been that age, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and these guys have money in their pocket for the first time. Yep. Like, how... Like how many of those guys are actually going to say no? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 and you were in these locker rooms, mm. you've lived it. Like how many of those guys do you think actually say no and are able to kind of be able to be consistent with it and be able to keep themselves out of those situations? 
Well, I mean, we already saw in Seattle, like it doesn't even need to be going somewhere. We're trying to <laughs> smuggle in contraband, you know, I mean, in a very creative way, you know, it's, it's interesting. I never thought many guys would and I played and I, I was essentially married my whole time in the NFL. My wife now, mm-hmm. you know, we got engaged early. She was living with me in Dallas. So, I mean, I wasn't running around doing those things. A lot of my teammates but were, saw they're going out, <laughs> but I saw it. They're going out on Thursday nights, Friday nights. And so I understood that, you know what, that's a different lifestyle that you're leading. And now those guys, like, can you sacrifice five months for $500,000? Like, that's the real question. Like, yeah. And it sounds like it would be easy, but when you're 23 years old, five months is forever when you're, it is. <laughs> and it's, you're so short term and thought, but you know, guys who are more mature, I think can put that stuff aside and realize like, I, how much do I even love the game? Like, do I love to play that much to where, this could take it away from me and take away that opportunity. And so I think they will have issues, not a lot. And especially on teams that put an emphasis and a premium on character, I think those teams will be fine. And also don't forget this too, Albert, you get to week eight, week nine, and you're staring down like three and six, then you might start to have some of those issues on teams as well, because uh, we're out of the playoffs. We're not really playing for much. Um, Maybe I'll slide out on a Thursday night. Did you ever see anyone sneak anybody into a hotel during camp? So I've got a great story that was told to me um, by Jim Schwartz, who was the head coach of the Lions, who was the DC of the Tennessee Titans when Vince Young and Lendo White were there. Mm-hmm. So this was, I think, the night before a game. And he told us, he's like, we sat there and watched security footage the next day from like 11 o'clock to like 3.30 in the morning or 2.30 in the morning of those guys trying to sneak two girls into the team hotel <laughs> And like the security wouldn't let them in. So they're like trying back stairwells and they have all the cameras that they're coordinated. <laughs> and he goes, the guy was fast forwarding. He goes, we spent about 45 minutes on Sunday morning watching this stuff. So, I mean, I've never personally seen it, but I, I've heard that. And that's like the <laughs> night before a game, not even in training camp. That's your quarterback too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did they, uh, like, did, did they wind up playing the next, like, do you know what happened to him? Like what I, Jim did to him? I think they played, I mean, because uh, Jeff Fisher was the head coach and he was a little yeah. more lax, I think. And so those guys played and then I think he addressed it with them afterwards. I think he may have put some of the film on like this, the Monday morning breakdown, oh. like open with that. <laughs> I think so, that, that is so everybody saw it. So everybody saw it, man. And like, I don't know what his performance was like. I mean, I can't remember the timeline, but I guarantee some of the vets are thinking like, man, you got to get it tightened up, dude. It's Saturday night before the game for heaven's sake. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember. And this is like my one story like that was this was when I was covering, I think I was covering New England and um, there's a bar in Boston. I don't know if you ever went there, but it's it's da- called Daisy Buchanan's. It's like, it's right there on Newbury Street. And it's like, uh, I was there all the time when I was in my twenties. And it was a place where they would take care of pro athletes. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. if the Yankees were in town, there'd be a back room where you know, Derek Jeter or Roger, whoever, whoever came in, they would be taken care of. No one takes, like you would literally, you go into that place. If you try to take out a cell phone camera, like you get like 10 dirty looks. It was like one of those sorts of places, you know? That's nice. And, um, and so I was covering Patriots lions the next day. And that was the year the lions went 0 16. And, uh, so it would have been 2008 then. And I saw like, and there were like four lions players in there and it was, I mean, God, it was, it must've been, it must've been one in the morning. And I believe the lines were staying in like Providence. So it's like, <laughs> like that's a hall, man. Yeah. That is it. Like, that's like, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, like I've done some really irresponsible stuff. Like that is a commitment to doing that sort of shit. You know what I mean? Like to go that far, like that is a commitment to doing it. So uh, yeah, I, it's, I, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I hadn't even thought of that though. Like the idea, like there's a team that's two and seven in November. And like, I mean, like the lid just could come off then. Oh yeah. Cause my first year in Detroit was 2010. So it was a couple years after that. And, you know, we ended up winning our last four games and finished six and 10. We lost some close ones, but every team I had been on prior to that with Dallas, we either made the playoffs. We always had a winning record, but we were in the playoff hunt until the final week. And so guys were making their vacation plans for after the season, <laughs> and like things around Thanksgiving. And I just, that was so foreign to me. Like, man, what, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean? What am I doing? And we're making plans. And like, we can go to the playoffs. Dude. He's like, we won two games or two and, two and six, two and eight or whatever it is. I'm like, 
That's a good point. I mean, we're not doing that. I'm playing to win, but like guys, that's just how you think. And you know, it's right. not that they don't come in and prepare, but you're not probably doing quite as much as you would as if you were in the playoff hunt. So, all right, like last thing on that, how important is it that it comes from other guys in the locker room? Because I, I like guys are used to being barked at by their coaches, right? Like, how important do you think in these situations that it, is it that it comes from some like comes from a peer, comes from somebody else who is in there playing with them? I think it needs to start with the coach, and they have to know that there's strict rules. Like, there's going to be fines and things levied, and then it goes to the culture of the players. And if you have your best players are good dudes who are echoing the, echoing those things, then you'll be fine. And if you look at the really good teams in the league, and you know you were in New England forever, you know, and you're still in Boston, like Tom Brady, and I always go to him. Like Tom was always first in, last out, hard, one of the hardest working guys you're going to find, you know. And so that helps set the tempo. Like Detroit, they brought in Kyle Vandenbosch, you know, and some bets, you know, to help set that set the tempo with that. And you had Calvin Johnson, who was you know a great dude who was always laying low and never doing things. Stafford was the same way. And so when your best players aren't guys who want to be out and always in public and doing stuff like that, and they're willing to take the L, that, that, that says a lot of it. And they can be stern then because they walk the walk. Okay, so we see the circumstances now, right? So you got basically a three-week training camp and pads. You're going to flow right into a game week. No preseason games. Obviously, all the dynamics that we just talked about. Can you think of a couple teams that you think are going to do really well with this, that are going to be able to handle a shorter camp, that are going to be able to deal with a lack of preseason games, that are going to be able to handle all of the extra stuff that comes on the outside? Like when you look at all the circumstances for 2020, can you think of a couple teams that just stick out to you like those guys are going to be okay? Well, I mean, number one, you look at the defending Super Bowl champs, Kansas City. So we'll like push them away because they, they have like 20 restart, returning starters, returning yeah. coach, like, and they won the Super Bowl and they have a great quarterback. The next team I would look at is the Baltimore Ravens. If you look at the, the structure there that they have in place, they have an incredibly stable front office. They have a young quarterback who's played a couple of years, though, is returning. They return a lot of guys on both sides of the ball. They have some veteran guys that are coming in there that understand it. You know, it's, it's a tough division. But I like Baltimore based upon their structure, based upon how they operate. Um, I don't know, you know, how where Tennessee will be at as far as, um, you know, talent. I mean, it's tough to do what they did again because they kind of won some games really close. They had a lot of luck on their side and just things broke, not luck, just things broke their way. They have a returning coach. They have a returning quarterback. They run the football, play good defense, very disciplined team. And so that's what I'm looking at, like, are there coaches that are there the returning coaches that I think are really good returning quarterbacks that have started for a while and like they an have established a very, program. Yeah. Established program where they don't have a lot of front office turnover. They have the same people that have been in place for a long time. It's New Orleans saints, another team, everything is in place. Like they've been locked and loaded and ready to win for a long time. And you could even argue that maybe the Atlanta Falcons might be in that boat as well. Like they underachieved dramatically last year. But they have that same thing where everybody's in place, Minnesota Vikings. So those are kind of like maybe seven teams, six mm -hmm. teams that I think like, okay, all this structure's in place. They have a firm organization. They have a returning quarterback. They have a veteran-ish roster, responsible guys. You don't hear a lot about them outside of the field and off the field. And so those are the teams that I think would be in good a good situation. Like I would have said Dallas, but I'm of the belief – that I think Mike McCarthy is installing a lot more of his offense than I think was initially planned. And mm -hmm. so when you have a tough offseason like this, like to where you don't have a lot of time with your quarterback, it's tough to get all those things worked out. And you may be working through some of them early in the season, which might not be good for chemistry. That's really interesting then. So you think it's going to be more McCarthy than Kellen Moore? Like that's your what, what you're seeing right now? From what I have heard, I think that there's more Mike McCarthy involved in this than initially anticipated and you know Kellen Moore was supposed to be the default play caller but I wouldn't be surprised if Mike tries to wrestle some of that away here as the season nears or as the season progresses okay um little nugget there for everybody on the Cowboys so on the player level like you look at what we have now like again like the ramp up period three weeks of camp um I think it's probably going to be a pretty physical three weeks but three weeks nonetheless no preseason games. What sorts of individual players? And it doesn't need to be specific guys. If you want to use some as examples, fine. But 
what sorts of what sorts of ex- individual players do you think have an edge based on the way things are structured? Well, it's going to be really tough if you're trying to break in offensive linemen right now, because that to me, if you have an offensive line that hasn't been working together, they need reps because it's the one one of the few positions where literally you have to see everything together. Now, there will be some, there will be a little bit of help because there's not going to be any crowd noise to speak of this year. And, you know, 20% fans, like that doesn't count as crowd noise at all. But I, I think the offensive line, trying to break in those guys who have not played a lot together or haven't really played much, going to be an incredibly difficult group. Defense, not a big deal. Like for the most part, you can get stuff in. Guys can work through it. You can understand concepts. But like offensively, it's a lot harder. Quarterback receivers getting on the same page. But that offensive line, because you know you don't do a ton in pads anymore, and now you don't necessarily – you didn't even have the offseason, the OTA stuff, and you're trying to compress it all in there. Like It can be very, very difficult if anybody's missing time to try to form a cohesive unit. It's really interesting you say that because Jordan Palmer said the exact same thing last week. And he said that you know he works with the quarterbacks and he said working with Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle Allen this offseason, they worked on a lot of like off-platform stuff. Because his thing was, it's going to be a mess. Like, there are going to be some offensive line. There's going to be some offensive line play out there that's a total mess. Like, and you look, you look at and the he, he felt he felt like defensive linemen, like defensive linemen are going to be fine, is what he said. He's like, they're going to be totally fine, and the offensive linemen aren't like won't be. Oh yeah, defensive linemen, you you peel your ears back and go. I mean, as long as you don't try to overcomplicate the scheme, you'll be you'll be good. You know, the issue is like you look at the Browns. They did a great job with the drafting and free agency of shoring up their tackle position. Those are two dudes that have never played in that system before and played with each other. And you know, one of them's a rookie. And so, yeah, it should be better on paper when you look at it, but the functionality of it, like that's a whole nother beast. Right. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Bobby, I always appreciate you coming out. You guys can catch him on Get Up on ESPN on 97.1 The Fan. Now in the mornings, he's now a morning drive guy. Um, and he's a former first round pick, uh, former Cowboy, former Ohio State Buckeye. And Bobby, I really appreciate you two giving me a little counseling there because I've needed it over the last week on what's going to happen with Ohio State. I just hope it doesn't take a I, I hope it doesn't take a chunk out of us long term. That's sort of what I'm more worried about now. Well, the thing is you're going to be living in the world of what ifs probably this year. And that that will take a chunk out of your soul, but I don't think it, it'll hurt a little bit in recruiting, but it, Ryan's doing such a great job that I think it'll ultimately be okay. Absolutely. All right, Bobby, appreciate you coming out. My pleasure, Albert. Thank you. All right, thanks to Bobby. He's always great coming out, um, talking about Ohio State, talking about what the NFL is going to look like over the next few months. We'll, of course, have him on again sometime soon. We're going to jump right into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Ever since the pandemic, and even now that I'm on the road, we've sort of switched gears, going to the old-school six-pack way of answering your questions. You guys know how it works. Every week I put the call for questions out on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours... Then you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart emoji there and you get an answer right here on the podcast. This week, we're going to do seven because we have two from one guy who sent me a whole bunch of questions and I want to get to both of his. So our first two questions is a two in one. We'll call it a two part question uh, is from just for the Titans at Drew five, eight, two, three, zero, four, nine, six. His first question is the AFC West, the best division in football. His second question, any chance the Chargers take a big step up with Tyrod vis-a-vis Ewing Theory minus Rivers? Is the AFC West the best division in football? I think it could be, but a lot's going to depend on how the Broncos come along, how the Raiders come along. Right now, I would tell you the best division in football is actually probably the NFC West. Part of that's what I see with the coaches in that division. You got Pete Carroll, who's a top five coach over the last 10 years in the league, Kyle Shanahan, who I think a lot of people would have as maybe the second or third guy you would take if you had to coach one game right now. Cliff Kingsbury, who I think showed flashes of what he can be in year one. And then Sean McVay, who I still think is you know in that category, top five, six coach in the NFL. And so you got the coaches, you've got stability at quarterback, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, and Kyler Murray. And I just think it's going to be, I just think that division going into all of this, it looks to me like the most competitive division. If you expect the Rams to bounce back. And if you expect the Cardinals to make a leap as many do 
Question number two, any chance the Chargers take a big step up with Tyrod Taylor um, vis-a-vis Ewing Theory minus Rivers? I think the Chargers have a chance. The offensive line's the big question you've got with them. What happens with that offensive line group? You look elsewhere, right, and there is talent everywhere on that roster. The receiver group, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, got Hunter Henry at tight end, Austin Eckler at tailback on the other side of the ball, just overflowing with talent. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. You draft Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. You have in the secondary Casey Hayward and, of course, Derwin James coming back healthy. Again, that question is on that offensive line. Brian Bulag is their left tackle. He's older, and he's been a right tackle for most of his career. Sam Tevy's their their right tackle. Like, how is all of this going to play out? I think there's just a lot of questions with that offensive line. If they can get that group together, though, I think they're a real challenger to the Chiefs in the AFC West. Question number two from Oakland 2443 at Oakland 2443. Chance of Clowney to the Raiders. Oakland, I think it's possible. The Raiders do need some pass rush help. It wouldn't hurt them to throw Clowney in the mix with Max Crosby and Clellan Farrell. I just think that Clowney's more likely to go to a place where there's some familiarity. You've heard about Tennessee. You've heard about Seattle. Seattle, in, they're out. They're in, they're out. I think Clowney's best bet is to go to a place now where he's got some familiarity. Less than four weeks to the opener now. And I think Clowney's focus has to shift on trying to hit it big in the 2021 free agent market. And I think you do that if you're Jadevian Clowney by going to a place where you do have some familiarity, where you are able to hit the ground running, where the coaches do know how to use you. So that would be a Tennessee. If there was some way to create like a reconciliation with Houston, obviously that would be another place. And then Seattle. Question number three. This is from at Buffalo Dre at Buffalo Dre 2020. Are you guys told not to report Bills related material because of the small market? Dre, I've been covering the Bills all offseason. I did a story with Josh Allen. Sean McDermott was in my column just this week. I, I love where the Bills are going. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been calling the Bills the favorite in the AFC since Tom Brady signed in Tampa. I love what they've got going on there. You look at the team and the young talent on that roster, 26 and under. Josh Allen. Devin Singletary, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, Deion Dawkins, Tremaine Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Tredavious White. They've done a tremendous job building over the last couple of years. And I think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have that team in a position where if Josh Allen is able to take the next step in year three, I think they're a very, very real threat in that AFC playoff bracket. Question number four from Antonio. That's at Sujesus. I think I pronounced that right. In regards to the Rams, what defines a successful season? Antonio, what defines a successful season for the Rams is contention, period. They were in the Super Bowl two years ago. They should be in a position to contend still. There's going to be some changes, of course. You know, they Todd Gurley's not there anymore. Brandon Cooks isn't there anymore. They're going to need Darnell Henderson. They're going to Daryl Henderson. They're going to need Cam Akers to step up in the backfield. They're going to need... Obviously, you know, you've got Cooper Cup and you've got Robert Woods at receiver. How much do you get out of like a rookie like Van Jefferson now? Um, And so much of this now is going to be about developing young players and finding a way to get more out of players in certain positions. Also going to be about melding the new coaching staff. And you got new coordinators on both sides of the ball and Kevin O'Connell and Brandon Staley. Part of the reason why Sean McVay brought in Brandon Staley, how difficult it's been over the years to play against Vic Fangio's defense. They're getting that defense now. Are you able to get the most out of Aaron Donald playing the way that they plan to play? You, know, you lose um, you, 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 you lose Dante Fowler. Is Leonard Floyd able to pick up the slack there? How are you replacing Corey Littleton? So, so much of this is going to be about developing young players and adapting to new schemes. But again, they were in the Super Bowl less than 20 months ago. So they should be in a position to contend. Contention should be the goal there. Question number five is from Michael Mannix. That's at the Omanix. Is it possible for a heartbroken Ohio State grad NFL writer to keep it together for the NFL season? Michael, I will do my best. As I said, with Bob, as, as Bobby and I talked about, this was going to be a generational Ohio State team. It's going to take me a little while to close the book on that if the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC move forward and the Big 10 doesn't play again until the fall of 2021. Question number six, final question for the week from Craig Ginsburg um, at Craig Adam G. 
What are the Vikings' realistic expectations? Lots of expectations questions this week. How much will they be affected by the loss of Diggs? Craig, obviously a big part of how they're going to be affected with the loss of Diggs is going to be the development of Jordan Jefferson. How quickly can he become a serious player in that offense? Um, and and I think, you know, you look at who else, you know, you look at what they've got back um, with Adam Thielen, with, and I, of course, I called him Jordan Jefferson, which is his brother's name. It's Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, you, you look at what they've got back in Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, and Kyle Rudolph, um, and you know, you expect maybe you'll get a little bit more out of Irv Smith in year two. Like based on like the fact that they've been a top ten defense since Mike Zimmer got there, if you can make it work, if Justin Jefferson can come along, if Irv Smith can take another step, I I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't expect them to be a team that's capable of not just getting to the playoffs but winning when they get there, and so. Um, it's still very much a team in a win now window with that core group of players. The guys I mentioned, you know, your Thielens, your Rudolphs uh, on defense, guys like Anthony Barr still there. Harrison Smith still there. Um, you know, obviously Danelle Hunter still there. It's still a really, really good team where if you have a couple things fall into place in offense, they should be a team not just capable of getting to the NFC playoffs and into that bracket, but advancing when they get there. Appreciate you guys coming out. Again, keep it locked all week on my social media channels. We'll be giving you guys all kinds of content from the training camp trail. Once again, my plan, I, I was with the Patriots on, on Tuesday. I'll be with the Jets on Wednesday, the Giants on Thursday, the Eagles on Friday, the Ravens on Saturday. Then I'm planning on going down to Florida to give you guys a flavor for what's going on out there because the access is a little different again. I want to, you know, again, be clear about this. You know, we did cut down the camp trip a little bit this year. I'm not doing 2025 camps like I normally would because it's just not worth it um, based on the the access rules. And I don't want to bore you guys with the journalism stuff, but I do want to give you guys a flavor of what's going on out there. And we're going to be doing that through all of my social media channels. Again, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert underscore Breer on Facebook or on, on Instagram, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook. You guys can check me out all three of those spots. We'll be giving you guys content all week. And thank you to, again, Bobby Carpenter for coming out. We'll have Gresh back again soon. And always remember to subscribe, listen to, download all of our podcasts. You can find all of them in one spot now in the MMQB NFL podcast feed. This podcast, the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer, the Weekside podcast with Jenny and Connor, Gary's podcast on Monday mornings, the Week in Review podcast is all in one spot. That MMQB NFL podcast spot, that, that MMQB podcast feed spot. You can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there. Same time next week. We'll talk to you guys then. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.